if you watched the Super Bowl this last Sunday. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All three of you that were excited with the outcome just answered. Great, yes! <laughs> you saw amid the barrage of color and celebrity, you saw two black and white commercials. It was the launch, as reported by the Insider Magazine and Washington Post, of a campaign with just simply, he gets us, all of us, as the tagline. How many of you saw that? All right, now I really see who watched. Okay, $20 million for those two spots, those short spots. It launched a $100 million campaign for the He Gets Us campaign, whose expressed desire, according to the spokesperson, as they were reporting, their desire is to get people to take a second look at Jesus. But after the commercials were aired, what you have witnessed is on the left side, seeing where the money, the sponsors of this have come with their LGBTQ and pro-life ties to supporting this campaign. And then on the right, those who said they got Christianity wrong, this was completely missing the point. And so what people have witnessed is that the left and the right are speaking against each other in a campaign that was desiring to bring unity, at least according to the spokesperson, you can have your own conclusions. But isn't this typical of how the world experiences Christians? Someone who claims to not be a person of faith said, well, this is exactly what they do. And it is, isn't it? We struggle, and right now especially, we see more and more People can have such strong and deep and passionate feelings that we can miss each other in the process. Now, you can have your own conclusions, and some of you after first service told me your strong conclusions. Thank you so much for sharing those with me. I thought it was really a good illustrative moment and meant to bring it up as such. Only illustrative of how we are divided. The actual ad, the second ad said, showing images of protests and fights and arguments, the words on screen appear, Jesus loved the people we hate. The challenge is, what does that actually look like in real life? How do we have unity when we disagree? Is unity in diversity possible? These are the questions that we're seeking from the word of God today, approaching the word of God together, asking what does it really look like to live out this faith that we all claim? Many, especially in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, believe it is what we believe that makes us distinguishable to the world. We are a peculiar people, right? what we believe, our theology, our doctrine, and I am giving 
baptism studies to the most amazing group of people right now. So this week I got to talk about Sabbath rest. I got to talk about what happens when you die. I got to talk about that we don't believe in an ever-burning hellfire. These things I believe matter to our picture of God and the character of God. But have you ever seen people with the very same convictions and the very same theology treat each other hatefully? Have you ever witnessed those with studying, who are studying the same Sabbath school quarterly treat each other spitefully and seek revenge against each other? Our diet is a beautiful gift to us. Our Sabbath, the blessing of this character of God, this picture of God that we have. But I believe Jesus himself pressed against this understanding that it is our doctrine or our understanding in our mind that distinguishes us and differentiates us. John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And pay attention to these next words. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love the ones who are like you, if you love the ones who are exactly the way that you see the world, if you love the ones who are similar to you, no, by this they will know that you are my disciples by how you love. Keep in mind the context that they're experiencing right then. This is Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. This is Jesus when the man who was about to give 30 pieces of silver for the life of Jesus was sitting at the table sharing a meal with him. This isn't weak love. This isn't love without substance. This is love that kneels down and washes the feet of his betrayer. That's a love. That's a love born of conviction, a vow that gripped him to where he could not let go a love that had him leaning into love even when it was the most unlikely that he would do so. Some might ask, how could you preach a message of love in this time in our world's history or in this time in our church's history when in both arenas, in the world and the church, we seem to be more divided than ever? Love is too simple, too simple a thing to preach, isn't it? I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 13, which says, we can speak in the tongue of men and of angels. We can have the gift of prophecy. We can have faith that can move mountains. We can sacrifice ourselves to feed the poor. We can give up our very bodies. But if we do not have love, we have nothing. We have nothing for ourselves. We have nothing for our fellow members. We have nothing to offer our community. We have nothing to share with the world. If we have all the right beliefs, but we miss love, we miss everything. Do you have love? 
We can have an amazing church, and I do love it. Every single time I walk someone into this church, they're like, this is an amazing church. And it starts first by looking around, but then it is really about the church. And they look around and they say, these people are beautiful. And I know they are. They're so beautiful. We can have an amazing church and beautiful people. We can have amazing programs and a balanced budget, right, Elder Sam? <laughs> we can have all of this. But if we don't have love, we have nothing. The text says love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We must learn of his love for his lover, love never fails. But my own love does fail. Do you ever look around and get discouraged by what you see? Do you ever wonder if your love matters? Because it seems like there's so much going on that causes us pain. The war has been going on for a year. That continues to happen in our streets. We're still divided over that. And you wonder, and you grow tired, and you grow weary, and you become disheartened, and you step back sometimes, and you say, I just don't know if I have it. But when we step back, evil prevails. Your love is never in vain. The love that God leads you to share is never in vain. It will bear fruit. And if you step back from love, if I step back from love, if we grow tired or weary, disheartened or discouraged to the point of counting ourselves out, of this calling, then evil rules the day. We are called to this love. This love never fails, even when it seems like it does. Even when we bury people in their 30s, even when we see people fighting, even when we don't know how to bridge and reach out to those that we love. This love never fails. This message is challenging. I don't preach today this message because it's easy. It cuts me to the core. I've asked myself so many times this week, what does love require of thee? What does love require of me? That is the question that I want to dominate my life. As I hear this person, as I read those articles, as I look at what, what is happening, what does love require of me? I heard last week Dr. Dillis Brooks' message and it moved me to the core. I loved her message about what's your song because it comes from your story. Hear each other's song and each other's story. Share your own song and story. And then let's write a new song together, the people of God. But what does it actually look like when your story is so different from my story that we can't understand each other? Some people said, I want to, but I don't get them. This is where we come back to this question of love. How then do I love when I see your conviction, when I see what you have gone through, when I see your story, what is my response? How then do we love the person across the table, across the room, across the hallway, 
who disagrees with us, who's different than us, who challenges us. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, Paul says to these Ephesians that after you have been established in love, may you have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses all knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. We can even have all the right knowledge but there's a love that even surpasses knowledge. There's a richer understanding of Jesus that I can only have with you. The body of Christ together has an understanding of the love of Jesus that we can't get otherwise. There's a love that we're called to strive for. How wide and long and high and deep. I'm wondering, does anyone need a refreshing of this love this morning? Does anyone find their own love inadequate today? Do you find yourself desperate for a love that's beyond yourself? We are not naturally this way. I do not automatically love. Maybe you do. But there's a reason Jesus prayed for this in John 17. He knew that we would wonder what the, this love actually looked like lived out. So he said, I pray that you would hold them together in unity that you would bind them together with the same love, God, that I have for you and you have for me. Give them this same love, that they would be in you and in me and be able to love each other. Jesus binds us together by his sacrifice. But really, can that be enough that holds us? Really, the sacrifice of Jesus? Really, how is that possible? In my studies this week, which was really fun, can you imagine, guys, the best gift that you've ever received? I said, imagine the best gift that you've ever received. Now, maybe for someone, it's this beautiful gold box. It was wrapped all, maybe yours didn't, it just needed a bow because it was so big. It just needed to have a bow. But imagine it was something that could be contained in a box and it was wrapped amazing or a giant gift bag. And you said, thank you, mom. Thank you, husband. Thank you, best friend. Thank you, auntie. And you put it on a shelf. Would you leave a gift unopened? Like, that's really stupid. No, I don't think so. No, we wouldn't do that. But yet God's grace and God's love remains something that we look at or admire, but don't take out and get it dusty. It's, it's those things that God has given us that are meant to get the dirt and the dust of life on them. They're meant to be practiced. What does grace actually look like when we don't agree? What does love actually look like in your life when you do not believe the same thing as the person next to you? What does it look like? The gift was meant to be taken from the shelf and put into our lives because the good news is Jesus has solved the sin problem. We are not separated from God. We are not meant to be separated from each other. Past, present, and future, Jesus has reconciled. And that love is what changes our lives. At this time in church history, when we struggle with differing views, I believe it's more essential than ever to lift up Jesus together, to remember who we follow, that it's imperative to remember that what it looks like to live a Christ-like life and to live out this love, especially when someone doesn't share your gender, your race, your age, 
your cultural background, your socioeconomic upbringing, your sexuality, your understanding of what any of that means, your theological conviction. What does it look like to show up in love with that person? There are certain people that challenge us more than others. I hope you have some faces come to mind. There are people that are difficult to deal with. I have my people, you have your people. Maybe for a teenager, it's your parent that comes to mind, and for the parent, it's probably the teenager too. Or maybe it's the coworker that berates you or the person that takes your ideas and gets credit for them at work, X. Maybe it's a family member that talks about you all the time when you leave the room. Maybe it's someone else. I could keep going. But the thrust of Jesus' statements in John 13 and 17 is how I treat the person that is most difficult for me to love is how much Christ's love has taken root in my life. This is what shows that I'm a disciple. Anyone else find that challenging? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, Luke 16 says. Who I am in Christ determines how I treat those people that are most difficult around me. Ellen White says this, true love is not merely a sentiment or an emotion. It is a living principle, a principle that is manifest in action. True love, wherever it exists, will control the life. Thus it is with the love of God. True love is manifest in action. That's why there is no place for abuse within a loving Christian marriage. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, that's not love. True love is not just saying I love you, but it's a principle manifest in action. So then, saying that you are my brother or sister in Christ is not just enough. I must treat you as the brother or sister in Christ. You have your story, yes. But then when you tell me your story, what matters is how I hear your story and the action that I take based on your story. Love must be embodied. That's why Jesus came. Love must be embodied. On Thursday, we took Pastor Gabriel to a welcome lunch, and our whole team was gathered together, and we were eating. And some of our team are a part of the U-Turn program. And if you're a part of the U-Turn program, just give a shout out. Oh, great, great, a few people are. And you are finding how much you love salt and sugar. Someone said, I didn't think I was a sugar addict till it was taken away. Goodness, they have less sugar, less salt. It's really, really super great. It's a good, good program. It's a really good program because people are lowering their blood pressure and able to reverse some of these, these things that are, we're plagued with right now. But we find out how much we love salt. And so we're having this whole conversation about salt and about missing it in some people's lives. Can you imagine your beans without salt? Frijoles sin sal? What in the world? If you could imagine your curry without salt and your tofu loaf without the savor of salt and your soup without salt, and you're hungry. I shouldn't. I'm so sorry. So sorry. I could keep going. But there's a reason Jesus said you are the salt of the earth. The salt gives flavor to everything. It's meant to permeate all of our lives. Salt 
sinks in and gives flavor to all of it. Salt, can you tell I'm a savory person? I know, I'm showing my bias here. Jesus didn't say you are the sugar of the earth, you are the salt of the earth. Salt and vinegar chips, yeah, anyway, all of that. Salt gives flavor to everything. And so when the scripture says in Colossians 4 verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to respond to each person. That the grace of God so permeates my life that the love that I'm beholding in Jesus so affects me that it seasons my answer to you. That even that most difficult person in your life, even that person you struggle with, would experience the seasoning salt of grace in your life. That the love of God would so permeate your life so pervasively that Jesus would be seen in you. Grace upon grace. That grace would saturate our conversations, affecting our emails and our text messages, affecting how we read the news and what choices we make and how we respond to each other. So I ask myself this question, what does love require of me? It's not by knowledge that they can tell that we're different. It's by love. The love of God. Loving people more than trying to win an argument. Loving people more than our differences. Loving people. Period. They will know you are my disciples by how you love. Christ Object Lessons says this, and I think it's important for us as we remember this context of how we experience love and how we share it with each other. It says, no outward observances can take the place of simple faith and entire renunciation of self, but no person can empty himself of self. No one can do this. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart for I cannot give it. This is how Christ does this in our life. It is thy property, keep it pure for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak unchrist-like self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. I'm dependent, I can't do it on my own but you can do it through me and in me in spite of your unchristlike love that Christ would take hold of our soul and raise us up to something more than we have on our own. Two brothers lived on adjoining farms and they had a great relationship. They shared machinery, they shared seed, they shared tools. They kept going this relational dynamic where they were each better off because they had each other. But then something happened. You know how it is. There's some kind of rift that, that develops and then weeks spill into months and then suddenly they hadn't been talking for month after month after month. And one day the older brother received a knock on the door and there was a carpenter there carrying his tools and he said, do you have any odd jobs around that I can do? And the old, older brother was about to send him away, but then he paused and he said, I do, I do. My younger brother lives on that farm. 
And he bulldozed down to the levee and created this problem right here with the creek that separates us. Build a fence, eight foot tall, right here so that my windows don't ever have to look out and see him or his farm anymore. I'll do him one better. He said, okay, I think I understand the assignment. I'll need some wood, some nails, and a post hole digger. And if you could have that for me, I'll do it. So the brother got everything ready, and he said, I had a full day of errands, so here's the supplies, and I'll be back at sunset. So he got everything, and all throughout the day, the carpenter sawed and cut and nailed and planed and measured, and everything was all done after a full day of work. And the brother's jaw dropped as he drove into his driveway, stepped out, and saw the finished product. It was not what he had asked for. Instead of building a fence, this carpenter had built a bridge, and a nice one at that, with handrails and everything, all perfect. But imagine the older brother's shock when there on the bridge was his younger brother. And as he went over to his younger brother, he heard his younger brother say, I can't believe you, brother. After all I did to you, this is what you do to me? You're pretty amazing. And he reached out and he embraced his older brother. And they were reconciled in that moment. As they were, they heard the carpenter gathering up his tools and picking up his bag to go. And the older brother said, no, 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 you did a great job on this. You actually did way more than I ever thought you would. You can stay. I've got plenty of work for you to do. And the carpenter was already moving away with his tools. And he said, no, I can't stay. I've got many more bridges to build. Our master, a carpenter, has built a bridge between every single one of us. He has built a bridge between each of our hearts. And we're divided. Our God desires, longs to have us meet on the bridge of reconciliation that Jesus has built between us. Today, I want to remind you that your love is not in vain. I hope and pray that you feel a stirring in your soul, a renewal to say, no, in my life, I will not, by God's grace, grow fatigued with doing good. I will not, by God's grace, grow tired of loving. I am committing, vowing, challenging myself that even when it's hard, that I'm going to invite you to love through me. That if everything within my power, I will reach out and reconcile to those that I can and to keep praying and showing up in love to those that I can't. The bridge of reconciliation has been built. What will we do with it? Especially for those who challenge us. The ones who are too messy, too late, too neat, too frustrating, too much for us. Too different too odd, too open, progressive, conservative, too different. What will we do? Will we step forward in love? Will we meet on the bridge that Jesus has built for us?